in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Lord willing, we're going to finish Colossians chapter 1 today. There's just so much in there, you know. Uh, and there's like what I like to call uh, nuggets of edification. Nuggets that help build our faith. And this letter to, to the Colossians is just uh, filled with so much. You know, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing by the word of God. And that's our desire that our emphasis for our lives is the word of God. Amen. Because God has something to say to us. And it's rooted in his love and his truth and his spirit. We've seen in our study thus far how the Apostle Paul was, you know, zeroing in on the preeminence of Christ to the church of Colossae, and uh, where we, we've seen that, you know, Jesus is the invisible God, the creator, sustainer of earth, and also uh, the head of the church. In verses 20 through 23, we, we've seen how Jesus is the one who came to reconcile us to the Father. And, of course, this is our greatest need as man, is being reconciled to God. And we praise God that he revealed himself to us at one time. And, you know, I've kind of, I don't title every message, but this week I wanted to title it. I don't even know if it's a word, so uh, forgive me. Um, the title of this message is um, Wildness. Not wokeness, wildness. And there's a big difference. Wildness. The preeminence of Christ. And we've seen, we left off in verse 23 where Paul said, which I, Paul, became a minister. And we're going to see how the gospel of Jesus Christ and his encounter with Christ affected his life. And in this week, again, we get these powerful truths that, that we need to reflect on, to chew on. I don't know about you, that, about you, but you know, there's times in my life where things become dull. We get used to hearing the word of God and we see these phrases and, you know, we just hear it. And I got to be honest with you, sometimes we take it for granted because we're so blessed that we get to come together to, to worship God, to hear the word. And we have Bible studies where we get into the word and we do our devotions and we get into the word. And, but there's times that we just need to have that time and let God interview our heart because he wants to. He wants to do something. He's always wanting to do something in our lives. And that's to draw closer to him. And so when we focus on these truths, this is why we've taken four weeks in Colossians chapter 1, which is nothing, really. Um, lots of stories behind that. But anyway, let's, let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much for meeting us here, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for our worship time lord it's it's amazing even in worship you speak to us lord and reminding us how much you love us and how much you desire that personal relationship and how you provided it all for us and that's why we worship the lamb of god your son whom you sent to go to that cross that we might have life and we pray now, Lord, as we get into your word, that your spirit would work in our hearts, that we would say after today to be encouraged, the wildness. Because it's all about you, Jesus. 
Speak to each one of our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's pick up in verse 24, where Paul said, and the Lord says to us, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. And so here's one of those nuggets of truth right off the bat. As man is reconciled to God and as Paul was a minister of this ministry of uh, you know reconciliation, of, of one who proclaimed it, one who, uh, as we're going to see, had a calling to bring it forth, he rejoiced in the sufferings that he had. And that's interesting that in our service to the Lord, there's going to be suffering. And Paul is a great example to teach us what's, what it's meant by suffering. Paul understood what it meant to suffer in Christ. Sutton, in fact, at the time of this writing, he was in prison because he would not compromise the truth of God's word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wouldn't compromise, and he continued on no matter what the cost was. And if you remember back in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, speaking of sufferings for Christ, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beat with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. And journeys often in perils of waters and perils of robbers. And perils of my own countrymen. Perils of the Gentiles and perils in the city. And perils of the wilderness and perils in the sea. And perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil and sleeplessness night or excuse me, often, and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness. So right there, just things that Paul went through because he wouldn't compromise to fulfill his mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see throughout the book of Acts, which I love. Someone asked me recently, why didn't we start in the book of Acts? It's a good question. But we are reading these letters to the church. Colossae, and we'll continue on from there, get into Thessalonians. But it's amazing to read in the book of Acts how the Spirit of God moved in that first century church for people who are just like me and you, filled with the Holy Spirit, a desire to walk with God. And also, if you remember Paul, Paul had a calling to suffer. Now, you're not going to find that on Sunday mornings on the Name and Claimant channels. But remember what what God said about Paul in Acts chapter 9. Speaking of Paul, God, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear the name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That's interesting, isn't it? Paul understood that there was going to be a suffering because the Lord had already warned him and told him. But I love Paul's attitude in suffering. I love Paul's attitude that everything wasn't going to be a bed of roses because there was a big picture. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen? You and I have that promise. What we go through in this life, whether we suffer for the sake of Christ or we suffer in daily life, Suffer in 
just living in this fallen world, suffering and, and loss and all these different things. It's part of our human life, our existence, that we will suffer in something. It really points to that there's meaning in life much more than just our own existence. And that is God. But Paul, he had this attitude. And he mentions here in verse 24, what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. And what does this mean? Let me start off by telling you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that in any way that Paul is referring to that the work of Christ on the cross or atonement is somehow lacking. Paul, just as we just read in the previous verses, Christ came to reconcile man, and in Christ, the work was fully finished. In fact, when Jesus was on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. So our atonement, that is a finished work. Man can be reconciled to God. But the lacking here speaks in relationship to Christ's suffering, means that it isn't finished yet, meaning that the body of Christ, as we suffer, it's being revealed as the suffering for Christ or the sufferings of Christ in service to the Lord. Now, remember Jesus said, and this is another one that we're not going to hear on Sunday mornings because you're here and you don't watch those channels. Right? You don't watch those channels. <laughs> it got quiet. That made me nervous. But anyway, Jesus said, remember that the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So this suffering... Isn't the suffering that we bring on ourselves? The type of suffering that Paul's talking about in service is a righteous suffering, a suffering which exists as followers of Christ in this world. Remember the two kingdoms, the kingdom of man or the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the enemy, compared to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. 2 Corinthians 1.5 tells us, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. And we can, this is a scripture I guess you could claim. That living in this world that we live in, a world that opposes God, and as we try to live our lives pleasing to God, wanting to live for him, to glorify him, to worship him, there's going to be suffering. There's that opposition that takes place. To Timothy, Paul wrote, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, not of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. We'll touch on the power later. But Paul continues in verse 25. Again, with the mindset of him being a minister of the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And here's one of those words that is another little nugget of spiritual truth to help build us up in our faith. Stewardship. Stewardship, which speaks of accountability, responsibility, Ephesians 3, 1 and 2 says, For this reason I, Paul, 
the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, which was given to me for you. So two scriptures here using two different words, the word stewardship and the word dispensation. And interesting, both of them come from the Greek word, okay, take a deep breath, Jim, okonomia. Same Greek word as stewardship, and let me give you the textbook definition. The management of a household or of household affairs, oversight, administration of another's property. That's stewardship. Paul later on in Galatians, well, let's just read that also. Galatians uh, 2, 7 and 8 speaks of, as you read it on the screen, it speaks of being committed to. And Paul's talking about the commitment that God gave to him, also gave Peter to the Jews and to Paul to the Gentiles. It's stewardship. It's an accountability or responsibility. God gave Paul the responsibility, the calling of his ministry, to manage what God had already given him. When you think about our lives, everything about our lives comes in context or reference to stewardship. Think about your family, guys. God has blessed you with family. We are called to be the spiritual leader. Our kids, for all of us, our kids, they're not even our kids first. They're the Lord's kids first. And he allows us, he gives us the wonderful blessing, the privilege. Well, most of the time it's a blessing. Okay. The blessing and the privilege to have stewardship over them. The responsibility. The accountability. Paul goes on, and what, what's he talking about? Stewardship, accountability. To do what? Well, to fulfill the word of God. Other translations say, carry out the preaching of the word of God. And as men and women, the things that God has given us, everything that God has given us, he's given us to be a steward, and we're going to find out here a part of the wildness, we too play a part in this fulfilling or the preaching of the word of God. Paul continues, verse 26. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. I love it when worship songs line up with the message. It's every week, but I, I love it, especially this week with that song, Living Hope, talks about God step, Jesus himself stepping out of heaven, past generations and ages. Well, look what Paul says here. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. A mystery, as you know, in the New Testament, refers to something that previously was concealed, but yet now it's been revealed. Was hidden from ages, speaking of all the time from Abraham and before, 
all the time leading up to when? Well, the first century. And then generation speaks of, of people. And I think it's, it's rather fitting, as I do believe the best commentary of the Bible is what? The Bible. Let's turn to Ephesians 3. Referring to or referencing this mystery that Paul's referring to here. The mystery, as you and I know, the church. Sure, it was definitely hidden in the Old Testament, but certainly there was times that we can see now of what God was speaking about. Now it's been revealed, as we'll see, Christ in us, the hope of glory. The church revealed. But look at Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, again, that dispensation speaking of stewardship, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power, which is essentially is referring to the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And we see there, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God willed it. The mystery is all rooted in the person, the work, the plan of God. God willed it. And it's been revealed. I love that that Paul talks about the revelation. It was revealed to him, not by anything that this world has to offer, but it's revealed by God to him. Now think about this. From a historical perspective, from the time of Abraham until the first century, to know God, the one true living God, to know him, to have that relationship with him in some fashion, obviously through Judaism or to convert to be a Jew. Paul then, in the first century, he comes along and he starts preaching the gospel message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling people, inviting them, there is no requirement to turn to Judaism there is no requirement of any religion other than to turn to the one true living God, repent of your sin, believe that he sent his son Jesus to the cross, he was buried and he rose again on the third day. 
It's a little bit different thinking on that perspective, right? Going back to the first century. Have you ever thought, I would like to live in some other time period? Anybody else ever think that? I would have loved to live during the Jesus movement days, right? Well, no, you wouldn't have, Jim. <laughs> but thank you. Put yourself in the first century days. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, we're living in a what they call a postmodern world where truth isn't absolute. Man has progressed to this point. Where do we progress to? Oh my, don't even go there this morning. We are <laughs> progressing downward. And it's all because we remove God. But you and I as believers, we're, we're ascending. We're, we're looking forward to eternity. But Paul has this message of grace through faith Jesus Christ. And he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what the wildness is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In us, at the very moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit dwells. In Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. As you and I know, the blessed hope of the church is the return of Jesus to take his church, bring us home to eternity. We all That's our blessed hope. We look forward to it. But the connection here, the glory is heaven. That is our hope. But this hope isn't just about heaven. The hope that we have, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is to live in this life with the same perspective that we have living in heaven because we all want to be there, right? We all want to be there. We're ready. We've had it. We just know it's better. Our bodies aren't going to fail because it's a new body. It's just going to be perfect. But make no mistake about it, this Christ in you, the hope of glory, is for today. To live with this hope that we have that God's already given to us. In fact, this, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, I just love it when songs and the titles and words and lyrics, you know, the Lord just preps us up, doesn't he? As we get to sing to him about the living hope that he's given us. And then from the scripture then, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be God the, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy. I'm sure we chew on the mercy of God a lot. The fact that he doesn't give to you and I what we deserve. But God wants, to, wants us to know it goes above mercy. It's abundant mercy. How much is abundant mercy? Well, we have a God who created the universe. A God who has gone, when you think about the gospel message, the gospel of love going out, no man could ever come up with it. The abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now that shows that, hey, our focus, heaven right here, the living hope, absolutely, but we need to read the rest of First Peter because it's about living life here on this earth with the living hope that God's given us through his son, Jesus Christ. We aren't born again, that is, we aren't born of the Spirit to live a life of deadness. We aren't to live just to gain that resurrected life in heaven. We have a resurrected life here. Yes, we are in these bodies. This is the only thing that you and I is not redeemed, these, these bodies, because the bodies, our earthly bodies, are bodies for this earth. We'll have that glorious body in heaven. But again, when you think about the message of the gospel, when you think about Christ in you, the hope of glory, and the wildness in that first century church, what about the wildness in the world today? When somebody comes and turns their life over to Christ and be redeemed and their lives transform, it's glorious, isn't it? I know this group, you love it when you see a believer who confesses or somebody who confesses their sin and they become a believer, become a follower of Jesus Christ and their life transforms. It's amazing. It's a testimony. It's, it's an awesome thing to have that revelation come to them of who Jesus is. You know, again, unfortunately, we can lose sight and in some ways lose this wildness which leads to our lives to be less than glorious. God desires for our lives to be glorious. What happens when you lose it? What happens when we lose the wildness of what Jesus Christ has done for us through the love of the Father? But the Lord wants us to know we can gain it back. Because you may have felt like you lost it. Maybe you have lost the wildness. God's not departed from you. Jesus said, at that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Just because we wake up and don't feel the presence of God doesn't mean the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, in us. This is the resurrection. So how do we regain it? Well, we go back to the cross. And to look upon what he's done for us. What he's done for us. Not what I want to do for him. Because right, the enemy wants to tell us, well, you, you need to get back and doing this, 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 and this. To get back where you were when you had that wellness when you got saved. It's not about us doing more. It's about us looking at what he's already done for us and recapturing the wonder. And he's so faithful to do it. If our hearts are open, he'll, he'll come in. One scripture which I know that you know, Galatians 2.20. Paul had that mindset of the crucified life going back to the cross. He could always go back to the cross and understand the life that God desired for him and what he desires for us. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. See, it's not, it's not about what you did or what I did. It's about what he did for us. I have been crucified with Christ. Who did that? Well, 
Jesus did that. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We can never get rid of that fact that he loves us and he sent his son for us. That never goes away. So to recapture the wonder is to look back at him, to see what he's done for us, to be reminded. You know, I think of this and the wildness in your life. And it just happens to be today is my mother's birthday. And I look back at her life and just, just again, just thinking about this wildness. And I think of my mom and her birthday being today. And, you know, she went to be with the Lord, uh, I guess it's 19 years now. And uh, my mom had a rough life. And, but uh, three years before she passed away, she came to know the Lord. And it was so awesome. And that's why I'm thinking of this wildness. Um, and uh, a couple years into her walk with the Lord, um, she got lung cancer. She had a mass on her lung, huge mass. And um, it was rough, but we prayed and she'd come to church and we'd pray. And I'll never forget, she went to uh, the doctor after her chemo and everything. And uh, I remember her standing up in church saying, I want to give glory to God because he's delivered me. The mass is gone. Three months later, we found out that cancer had spread to her bones. But my mom's attitude was so incredible and out of character for her. But I knew. Just a few months later, she passed away and went to be with the Lord. But I'll never forget, and again, it's not about me in this story. I want you to look at the wildness of God and how he can change us and transforms us. And it's all about Christ in you, the hope of glory. My last conversation with my mom was, she was incoherent. I came in after work and I went and talked to her. She sat up on the edge of her bed. And we started talking about the Lord. And she starts talking about heaven like, as if she's been there. And I'm like, okay. She goes, I know where I'm going. And she said, again, you think about sufferings in life. I think one of the greatest sufferings we can have is to lose a parent, lose a spouse. Loss is heavy. But it doesn't compare to the wildness. My mom said, God gave me a whole year with cancer. He let me live this year with cancer. And my mom crew, and i got to tell you something, I had multiple aunts tell me that they don't understand, they don't know, they don't walk with the Lord closely. Your mom changed so much in the last three years, we just can't hardly explain it. I'm like, yeah, I, I've been trying to tell you what happened. <laughs> she gave her life to Jesus, and her life was transformed. She was a new creation, a new being. Perfect? No. Out on the streets proclaiming the gospel? No. But her life was changed. And it's glorious. It's the wowness. We all experience that wowness. Well, Paul continues then in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So here's responsibility Paul had. Responsibility the church has. 
Him we preach. Him we proclaim. This is the the core object of our, our mission, right? To proclaim Jesus Christ. It's what he's entrusted us with. This is, this is what Paul's talking about. This is what was committed to him. This is the mystery that he was to, to continue to reveal. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Preaching Jesus Christ. You know, most of the church today is, has wandered away from the primary calling and we get focused on doing what we call good and practical things and they are good and practical things. We feed the poor. That's a good thing. We help people become better citizens and work better in society. We help them in any way. We can help people have have a better marriage, to be a better parent, to be better at life, to be a better person. But in all those things, if Christ isn't the center, we've got issues. For instance, we can go feed the poor all we want. But if we're not bringing the gospel message to them, we could be feeding them, making them full, and yet still letting them go to hell. The primary role, the responsibility of the church is the gospel message. It's about him. We proclaim him. We preach him. So many of these other things are good and positive, but it's not our primary calling. Our primary calling is to preach the word of God by going, not just Sunday mornings, it's not just the pastor, it's to go, evangelize, share the gospel, be faithful, and then make disciples. Teaching them everything that Jesus said. Teaching them the word of God. And along the way, We help people. We show them what God says about marriage. We we share with them what it says about sin in the Bible after you become a believer and how sin has consequences if we don't truly follow him. And how to have power to allow the Holy Spirit to lead God and direct. We teach them that, but the root of it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, parents... um, as Paul says here, warning every man and teaching every we Parents are a great example of how the body of Christ, the church, ministers of the grace of God, ought to be bringing warning and also comforting. How many have raised your voice at your children this week? Don't raise your hand. You, boy, that went up fast. That was, woo-hoo, Wow. But we warn them, right? We don't do that. Why? It's not just because we don't want them to do that. It's because we protect them. We don't want them to touch that hot stove. So we warn them and we might have to raise our voice and we do things that they don't touch the hot stove. Why? Because they'll get burnt. And as Paul says this here, him we preach with, with that, right, comes with warning Every man and teaching every man. Warning. Now this is, if you're obedient to the word of God here, not that you get your kicks out of warning and causing division and um, reading every last discernment ministry. 
we warn with love. We warn our family members, hey, if you don't turn to Jesus, there's going to be that eternity separated from him. Or to the believer, listen, if your life doesn't, if you don't choose to change your life now, here's the consequences of your sin. You can't be following the Lord, worshiping him in truth and spirit by living this lifestyle. We should be warning, especially in this day. I am, I, this is my conviction. The church, especially pastors, have the calling to be a voice within the culture. If we aren't preaching him, if we aren't preaching truth, I'm not trying, I'm not saying go pick a fight with every political thing said or, or newscaster says or any of that. I do believe when it comes to politics, though, whether it's an R, a D, or an I in front, if it's corruption and evil, we have a responsibility to warn the people of it. We are called to warn. Especially also when it comes to false teaching of the scriptures. That's why I have no problem saying anything about the prosperity teachers, the claimant. What's the, how's it say? The blab it and grab it, name and claim it. Yeah, those things. I have no problem doing that because it's in a sense it's a warning thing. But you got to know your audience too that you don't just do it to do it. But we do have a calling as a church to warn people. It's necessary to warn people not to live in the flesh. It's necessary to warn people of the false teachers and their teaching because, you know, we're all sheep. And we can be led astray very easily. That's why it's, again, important to be in the Word of God. But there's too much of, you know, programs, and programs are good as long as we're preaching Christ, as long as we're teaching the Word of God where people can grow and build up and be built up in the faith. Too much of the church world is just being built on emotionalism, different programs. This is why we stay in the Word of God, because I can tell you, I'm just, I'm just as easy to fall astray than anybody, anybody. But this, this here will keep us on track. And I know you'll keep me on track, looking at this group, because I know people here get into the Word of God, and are led of the Spirit. And then Paul says in verse 29, To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. First he says that we may present every man perfect. And he talks about laboring and striving, and that laboring speaks of, uh, you know, intently, like training, and then the, the striving is agonizing. It doesn't necessarily mean Paul worked himself to the point of exhaustion, yet by intent, just as an athlete prepares for a marathon or Olympic sport or, um, you know, you go all summer long to prepare for your football season or whatever, it's a working of the Spirit of God in us, as it was in Paul, to have this wonderful focus of laboring, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily, that we may present every man perfect. In Christ Jesus. Paul had this mindset that one day all those that he preached the gospel to and that they came and that he began to disciple, 
like Timothy and many others, he had this idea that he was going to be presenting them to the Lord. Chew on that for a minute. Just think about your journey with God and how you've been obedient and sharing the gospel with that coworker, classmate, or, or whomever, family member. And then think about the fruit in your life. I got to thinking about this as I was thinking about my mom and, and our journey, you know, the last couple of years, as you know, going from, you know, two hours north, moving here, being part of a church for two years, being associate pastor there, and then God does this, right, with the new church plan. We've been on a journey even those years prior to. But then you start thinking about, I was thinking about, of all the years when we've been ministering and in the, in, in the ministry, you start thinking about people. You th start thinking about, well, who am I going to present to the Lord? You start even maybe thinking a little bit on failures of people. Most of the people, now, don't take this the wrong way. I'm going to be totally transparent here. Most of the people I've married have been divorced. My batting average isn't great, but it's not about me. It's about the Lord. So, so please, if you have somebody married, want married, come talk, come talk to me. We'll counsel and everything. But my point is you start thinking about people that you minister, minister to, you've been part of a church with, and I had the most awesome thing happen this week. I had a gal that she's, what, 23 years old now? She was part of the church the day she was born. Her family uh, heavily involved in the ministry. I haven't talked to her on the phone in years. But I got a call from her this week. And she said, Jim, I got a question to ask you. I'm like, sure. I mean, I was, we were pumped up that she even called. She had a question about spiritual gifts. And it brought me right back to this scripture. I was able to talk with her, get her into the scriptures. That's what you and I are doing as the body of Christ. As we're obedient to fulfill our calling and the word of God. As a church, together, that one day we're going to present people to the Lord. Think about those people that you've discipled. Think about those that you're sharing with. Think about those that you may have counseled or ministered to that weren't believers and you don't even know where they are where they are right now. You don't know what the Lord's doing. He's always doing something. And also to look back, it's all about wildness. The wonderful revelation that God gave to us that he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to go to the cross to be the penalty for our sin and that he rose on the third day. And right now he's ascended to the right hand of the Father and yet his church continues to go. Why? Because of his spirit empowering his followers to bear witness of him, to be obedient to him, to take on the responsibility, to follow through with the trusting that God has given us with his word we get to do this. Let me ask you something. What about this wildness, Christ in you, the hope of glory? Do you have it? If not, he shows you the way to have it. Amen. Well, praise the Lord, we completed chapter one. By Christmas, we might be done with chapter two. It'll be okay. God bless you guys. May you have a most awesome week. May he bless you abundantly with all that you do. May you open up those doors for you to share the one true living God with others.
I pray that you would just ask him, Lord, am I living in this wildness? And uh, he's so faithful. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for you, that you're a living God. You've given us a living hope through your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that these scriptures that we looked at today through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would build up your church for your glory, Lord. That we would be mindful that each one of us have this stewardship of proclaiming him. And sometimes that doesn't even include words. May the folks that we come in contact with, Lord, know that we are yours by the love that we have for you, being demonstrated through our lives to others, that you truly would be glorified from your church, Lord. Lord, would you bless these folks here this week abundantly. May they acknowledge you in those blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.